welcome to the Soul Journey Podcast. I'm your host, Sherry Lynn. I'm thrilled that you've joined me. This podcast will follow my personal journey from chaos and hopelessness to a life filled with faith and love. Each episode will feature Christian music, Bible verses, prayers, and personal anecdotes to guide you on this spiritual journey. My hope is that this podcast will inspire, encourage, and most importantly, direct you towards the ultimate source of help and guidance. I truly believe that you were meant to be here. Welcome to episode eight of the Soul Journey Podcast. It's me, Sherry Lynn, your host. Thank you for tuning in. In this episode, we'll be exploring the topic of our younger selves and asking the question, what would you say to your younger self if you could? Before we dive into this discussion, I invite you to take a deep breath and reflect on the emotions that this topic might bring up. Ask the Lord to be with you as you listen. To set the tone for this episode, I'll begin with a relevant Bible passage, and of course, as always, I'll end with a prayer. I do need to tell you that there's a trigger warning because I will be talking about sexual abuse, abuse, alcoholism, and a little bit of uh, suicide. So let's begin with that deep breath. And the passage this week is from Psalm 34, 17 through 20. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves in spirit. Let's dive in. This episode is about the concept of visiting your younger self. I recently turned 60. It's a big number. And I think back to when I was a kid and somebody was turning 60, I would say, oh, yikes, that's old. Well, on most days, I don't feel old. But it is a transition to be retired from a 31-year career and to be in a new state and an empty nester. My life today is very different than it was for the majority of, of my life. I've worked since I was 14 years old, so not working now is very different. Recently, my oldest daughter turned 30, so I took out all the albums, and there were a couple of pictures in there of me that I it really brought up a lot of emotions and thoughts. I would look at these pictures, and I'll tell you, and, and I tell you this not to make anybody feel sorry for me or whatever. I'm just telling you, anytime I look at these pictures of myself, of my younger self, I see a lot of sadness. I see a lonely, confused person. I think the first thing I would tell my younger self is, I need you to know that you're going to go through some hard things. Actually, you're going to go through a lot of hard things, way more than you'll want to have to go through. But I need you to know that you aren't going to go through them alone. And during some of the darkest moments you'll pass through, you'll be blessed to feel the presence of God, letting you know you're, you're not alone and that you will get through those hard times. Not only will you get through the hard times, but one day you'll look back on them with appreciation and recognize all the valuable lessons they've taught you. Oh, how much smarter they made you and the humility they provided you and the way they increased your compassion and empathy for others. 
and a million other ways they refined you and made you into the person you were supposed to become. That's how I would start. But as you know, each episode does have a song that I feel goes along with it. And when I heard this song called Dear Younger Me by Mercy Me, I knew it would fit right in. And it really gets you thinking about your younger self. So I hope you give it a listen on my Spotify uh, podcast playlist. Um, and if you're listening to this podcast on Spotify, I'll play it at the end of this episode. So here are the, some of the words to get us going. The song says, dear younger me, where do I start? If I could tell you everything that I've learned so far, then you would be one step ahead of all the painful memories still running through my head. I wonder how much different things would be. Dear younger me, I cannot decide. Do I give some speech about how to get the most out of your life or do I go deep? and try to change the choices that you'll make because they're the choices that made me. Even though I love this crazy life, sometimes I wish it was a smoother ride. <laughs> yeah. If I knew then what I know now, condemnation wouldn't have the power. My joy, my pain would have never been my worth. If I knew then what I know now would have not been hard to figure out what I would have changed if I had heard, dear younger me, it's not your fault. You were never meant to carry this beyond the cross. And there's some more words, but those were the ones that really stood out to me and just really got me thinking. And this kind of provoked this whole thought of this episode. Plus it was my birthday week and um, it really got me going. So I hope you listen to the song and it gives you all the feels. So what would you say to your younger self? I am a person who tries not to think of this question too much or how I wish things could have been or would have been different because actually I get a little afraid of this topic. And the reason I get afraid of it is I don't want to go back because it would change where I am now. And I would never want to do that. I'm so happy right now. And it took me a long time, 60 years to get here. And if I went back and changed anything, would that change my life now? Would it change my kids? It wouldn't be worth it in any case. But I mostly wish my younger self knew some things because when I see pictures of that younger self and I think back to that younger self, I just feel so much pain and so much sadness. And that just breaks my heart. I wish somebody would have hugged that child and I wish somebody would have let her know that everything was going to be okay and that her feelings were valid. So here's a little backstory. My grandfather was a Lutheran minister, so I grew up going to Lutheran churches. And then we just stopped going as a family. When I was a young teenager, uh, I guess about 13, uh, maybe a little younger, um, I wanted to go through confirmation. But at the time, nobody in my family really was going to church anymore. So even as a young girl, I really had a yearning to know God and to feel God in my life, but it wasn't really supported. And I really didn't have the guidance, but I did go to church. My mom would drop me off and I did go and completed my confirmation. I wish out of 
anything, I wish I knew who I was in God's eyes when I was younger, because I think that alone would have given me some strength. Strength I have now to know my worth, to know that I'm redeemed, to know that he is in control and that no matter what, everything's going to be okay. And God is always available for me to lean on and ask for guidance. I wish my younger self knew that. So continuing with my backstory, it gets a little sad. Sorry. My dad was an alcoholic and so was my grandfather and he was a minister. I grew up in a household of secrets. I grew up in a household where you didn't tell anybody what was going on. My mom's mantra was, what will the neighbors think? Which kind of ends up to be a little uh, funny because in later years, my dad had an affair with my mom's best friend and she was our neighbor. So my life, as you can see, just wasn't so great. My parents fought most of my young childhood, and the fights were pretty violent. My dad would hit my mom from time to time and curse at her and even spit food at her. It was really bad, and I quietly cried in my room each night. I still remember that younger me. She was so scared and so confused. Well, you would think that maybe going to school would give me an outlet, a release, from the chaos. But when I was growing up, my dad was also my principal. Uh, This is in the early 70s. And again, the mantra of my family is, what would the neighbors think? So everything was kept very quiet and secret. You did not tell, or as they said, aired your dirty laundry. Also, being in the 70s, divorce was not common, and children did not have valued feelings back then. So my parents would fight and have these awful fights. My dad would be drunk, and he would be stumbling around in the house drunk. He would come home after his afternoon at the country club and then come home so drunk and so mean. Then the next day, he'd get up and go to work like nothing happened. I would be in a school, excuse me, I would be in school. Now, remember, my dad was my teacher's boss. So they were never going to say, oh, I think your daughter's sad or anything like that. My parents divorced when I was in third grade. I was eight. And when my parents told us that they were getting divorced, my first thing was, who's going to pay the bills? At eight years old, that's what I was worried about. My family had always struggled financially, and money was always an issue. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. Um, By the way, she was not a legal citizen at this point, but she had a green card. Um, And she babysat for teacher's kids. Again, my dad's faculty. So when I would go to school and I would be so worried and I hadn't slept because I was worried all night and I'd go to school and I just can remember feeling so sad and so scared. And everybody, I think everybody watched me because I was the first child in that school to go through a divorce. And then I was their boss's child. So they would look to see, oh, how does divorce affect a child? And that was a big deal. All right. Nowadays, we know divorce affects children. We know violence in the household affects children. 
Um, and we now know, I, mean, I was a teacher for 31 years, so I know that we do things in, in schools to help these kids. We do things, we, we have counselors or therapy sessions. There's even books out now that talk about your feelings and things like that. So we have lots of tools in place today, but none of them were available to me back then. I can remember being so sad and my mom was going through such a severe depression and she would stay in bed on the weekends and just be so sad. And I felt terrible and didn't know what to do. She had terrible migraines. And, and actually I was depressed and I look back now and I know it was depression, but several times, I guess in my childhood, I can rem remember my mom saying, you can't be depressed. You're a child. Children don't get depressed. And I think that was really the way of life back then. The, the whole thought process, it's the same thought process my mom would have, even though my dad was drunk all the time. My mom would say, well, he's not an alcoholic because he only drinks beer and you can't be an alcoholic if you drink beer. So that was just when, you know, the old saying like, you just don't know when you know better, you do better. And at that time, we she didn't know better. Um. So when I was in the fourth grade, I ended up getting really sick and I had the shingles, which they didn't quite understand how a child could get the shingles, but the shingles is a virus of the nervous system. And since I had shoved down those feelings of depression and confusion, hurt and everything else, I just shoved everything else down. I guess it came out in that sickness. So again, I just wish I could hug, hug that younger me. I wish I could hug her and let her cry and let her know that God loves her and that everything was going to be okay and that she could reach out and pray and lean into who he was as a father. I just wish that little girl knew that. So the years went by and I say this lightly and I don't even know why I'm saying this, but it's just to give you a little reference point maybe. But I was a, a pretty girl um, and I started to develop and grow into becoming a te teenager and I was the pretty one. So people associated being pretty with being popular, with being confident and having it all together. So I had to live up to that and kind of fake that that's how I felt. And I had to be okay all the time. And I was so hurt and so confused most of my life. But by being a pretty girl, I got a lot of attention. I got attention from men. I got attention from boys. Heck, I even got attention from women. But I always got a lot of attention because I was pretty. And I know some of you might be listening saying, oh, well, that was easy because, you know, being pretty must have been nice. Well, it wasn't that it wasn't nice. I'm not not trying to say that. But it gave me a lot of tension that I really didn't know how to handle. I started working when I was 14 at the country club. It's not really like a country club. It was just a golf course. I was the pro shop girl and I would get the carts and balls and stuff for the men. And of course, all these men that were there all day drinking and they would come in and be like, hey, you're so pretty and all that kind of stuff again, gave me attention. It was bad attention. And I got confused 
what that was all about. Good attention. And once again, looking back at that young girl, I wish somebody was there for her. You know, my mom was so depressed and her family lived in another country. She had nobody here. Her best friend had had an affair with my dad. So she didn't have a friend. And my dad was drunk all the time. And I was at school trying to pretend that I was okay. And so my whole life was in shatters and I just hid all of that. And then when I could get attention from boys and men, it would make me feel better. It would make me feel like I was worth something, that somebody saw me. And I know you might be listening, thinking, oh my gosh, this is so awful. But this was in the 70s and there was no internet, no reference. There was no child help places. There was nothing. I didn't know what to do. Looking back, it was all red flags, you know, definite red flags, but no one was there to catch them. No one was there to help that girl. So I started my life out of pleasing men. I'm not really proud of this. And this is really difficult to talk about, but I was very promiscuous and I hurt a lot of people and I'm sorry for that, but I didn't know any better. I really didn't. I didn't have the relationship models that I should have. I didn't know what relationships were. I didn't know how to love myself or anybody else. I didn't know how to be loved or to be respected. And relationships became just physical things for me. Most of the time to escape the pain. I became sexually active at a very young age. So years have gone by at this point. And uh, my dad was my principal all through elementary school and then all through middle school too. It was so crazy. My dad ended up dating a lot of women and it was very uncomfortable because he was actually dating some of my teachers and my mom started dating too. So all this during my teen years was really crazy. Both my parents got remarried when I was 16. My mom's husband, my stepdad and I did not get along. He was controlling of my mom and made her make changes in how she raised us, my brother and I. And then she would pretend she made these decisions. She did everything for him. It was so sad to see her become so submissive to this man. She was under his control at all times. They were married for a long time. He recently passed away. So I'm not going to go into all of the details of that relationship out of respect for her, but it was an awful time for me. She chose her new husband over me. At least that's how I saw it. I felt so abandoned. This started me on a spiral of self-destruction. If your own mother doesn't think you're worthy of fighting for, then you must not be worthy. So I went to live with my dad and my new stepmom. She had two very young kids and I really loved them and they became part of my family. My dad was a little bit easier on me and his discipline was definitely easier. And he let me live my life a bit without yelling and putting me down and not too controlling. But I was going through boyfriends very quickly. I could not commit to relationships. Love was foreign to me. I thought I knew what love was, but I was very confused. And I usually um, just would start feeling stuff and then just leave, usually hurting the person I was with. 
that was never my intention. I just didn't know. I would go from one boy to the next, never wanting to be alone, but never really wanting to be with anybody. I did not like myself. So being alone was not really the best option. I did often think about suicide, but it wasn't a real big thing back then. So I didn't know much about it. And I decided that I was just going to get out. So I made plans to graduate from high school in three years. So I was busy with school and of course I worked. At one point I was in a relationship with a boy who was just a few years older than me and he was very violent. And again, no red flags because that was my dad. And he was actually friends with my dad. They played golf together. He would punch me and force me to have sex with him and make me do things that I didn't feel comfortable doing. And he was very, very rough with me and very uh, jealous. If I looked at anybody, if uh, he, it was awful. Um, he left bruises on me, cuts on me. It was really a bad time. I even snuck birth control. It was a vaginal suppository I could use. And I thought nobody knew. And it was just one way that I could kind of keep from getting pregnant. My mom found these and accused me of being a slut. But I was really just trying to prevent getting pregnant. It wasn't until my first stepmother was looking out the window one day and she saw him throw his big hunk of keys at me. And he was in my face yelling at me. And my stepmother came out and told me to come inside. And she said that that's not right, that he should not be treating me like that. And she was the per first person who ever paid attention to me. And I'll never forget that because this boy told me that if I broke up with him, he would kill himself and it would all be my fault and everybody would hate me. I told her this. And she said that he wouldn't do that and that he was just saying that. And she really helped me break free of him. When she told my dad, he didn't believe me or her. Then when I told him that he raped me, he said that you can't get raped by somebody you're dating. A little side note to that. Many, many years later, my dad called me and and he cried and he was calling me crying. And he said, the strangest thing, I was just watching Oprah and they had an episode on date rape. I, I didn't know that that was really a thing. I'm so sorry. And that's what I went through. And I just felt seen by him and I appreciated his apology. He just didn't know. But back to my high school days. I kept getting in and out of relationships. They just didn't matter. I was promiscuous. After being called a slut by my mother and not valued by my dad, I just didn't care. I could get attention through sex, and that's what I did. I just didn't care. For the course of my life, I chose men that were not right. Red flags were flying, but I ignored them, mostly from the lack of just not knowing better. My first husband was the star quarterback of the college I went to. By the way, I wanted to go into a makeup career, which was really unheard of back then. You're talking, I graduated from high school in 1980, and you didn't even have MAC cosmetics or anything like that. So makeup wasn't a big thing, but I loved it even then. 
But my dad said I couldn't do that. I could be a nurse or a teacher. So I chose a teacher and I even went to the same college that he went to. You know, you always do everything to try to please them. So when I married the starting football quarterback, who was also an alcoholic, my dad was thrilled and I felt like I did something right. Well, that relationship ended very badly and very quickly. And I hopped right into the next, which this relationship, he was the father of my first child. He was abusive as well, not physically, but he was verbally abusive. He cut me down and made me feel so unworthy. It just was awful. When my daughter was six months old, my dear, sweet father-in-law, who truly loved me, passed away suddenly from a heart attack and I spiraled out of control. It was 1992. I was suffering from postpartum depression, which was not even really a thing back then. Um, of course, it was undiagnosed. Nobody talked about it. No doctors asked about it. I had already been suffering from depression. And then once I had the baby, my hormones went crazy. And then his death, I was lost and scared. One of the things I did was I went to a 12-step program for adult children of alcoholics. Somehow I had heard about that and somebody had suggested it. This was awful. Now I'm not knocking 12-step programs. If it works for you, that's great. But for me, it wasn't the right fit. They had rallied around me and told me to leave him, that I was right, he was wrong and bad. And they really hurt me in a lot of ways because they made me get stuck in my story of telling the same thing every week, every week. No, I was so vulnerable and they were not the ones that should have been leading me. I did end up leaving my husband and my daughter and I uh, left him. Uh, he was still very active in her life throughout her, her growing up. But um, I did then get on... Uh, Prozac. It was the first time that I went on an antidepressant at the age of 29. Uh, it made me feel better. I started going to a therapist, which that also helped. But since this was my first time in my life that I was seeking help, it was a little bit late and I was a slow learner. Every other weekend, my daughter would go to her dad's and I would go on a self-destructive course. I met several guys and was in a few relationships. They were all abusive in some way. One was physically, the other emotionally. None of them were healthy. I did not have my daughter involved in these relationships. I was thankfully careful about that until the last abusive relationship. I met him at a bar. He lied from the start. He was a narcissist, still is. And I was in hook, line, and sinker. He knew how to play me. He knew it all. We met in early December, December, and as fate would have it, he came by one January day in 1996, and my daughter was there. Well, they met, and of course, he was super nice to her, but then guess what? We had a blizzard and he got stuck at my house, stranded there for two weeks. Schools were closed. Roads were closed. It was a lot. My daughter was there and he was on good behavior. So I never felt like she was in danger or anything like that. Well, when the roads opened and he left, I had a ski trip planned with friends in February and I went away. 
So after that, he was coming by pretty regularly. When I got back from the trip, we went out to dinner. And when the food came, I was sick. I looked at the food and just got sick. I ran to the bathroom like, what the heck? Well, guess what? I was pregnant. After my oldest was born, there were complications. And the doctor said, I probably could not conceive again without treatments. But God had other plans. That's the way I look at it. Yes, I was pregnant. Now, I was going to a therapist. She was just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. <laughs> but um, I do need to tell you that at this time, God was not in the forefront of my life. Sorry to say that. But not once, not once did I consider an abortion. But I was a teacher, a single mom, and now pregnant. My ex-husband threatened to take my daughter away. He actually hired a private detective to follow me. My school wanted to fire me. I had people tell me I should have an abortion. With all this pressure, I didn't know what to do. So I married this man. Yes, there were red flags. And if I was not pregnant or if I had a support system, I would not have married him. Please note that at no time, never, ever, did I think I shouldn't have gotten pregnant and then I didn't want this baby. From day one, I wanted this baby. So that's the trickiest part of thinking of telling my younger self something. I would never want to change anything if it meant that I would not have my girls. Well, as you know, from episodes one and two, you know how all that relationship ended. There were so many lies during the thir 13 years I was with him, and it was really, really a hard time. But I'm thankful that I am where I am. I'm proud of myself. I worked really hard on my healing, my counseling, reading, life coach, and my faith. I never gave up. That's what I want my younger self to know. That's what I'm most proud of. Now as an adult, as a 60-year-old adult who has two grown children, I think, gosh, I made mistakes with my children too. And I look back and I said, I wish I did this differently or that differently. But you know, the old saying again, when you know better, you do better. And that's what I have to say. And that's what I try to tell them. Use these lessons now. I tell them, even I tell my current self this, because in a few years, this 60-year-old self will be a younger self again. So if you're listening and thinking about your younger self, and hopefully your story was not as complicated as mine, what would be the first words you would tell your younger self? I polled some of the social media friends that I have, and here's what they said. You're good enough. Don't worry about sounding needy or emotional. Speak up and be honest about how you feel. Write things down. You'll be amazed at how many great ideas you forget and details you'll want to remember. Celebrate your victories in life, even the small ones. Don't ever be afraid to try. Trying is how you're going to learn things that make you smarter, wiser, and stronger. And don't worry about failing because it's not a failure if you learn something that can make you better as you move ahead. Don't worry about getting knocked down. Instead, focus on getting back up as quickly as possible. That was a good one. Another one, it's great to have goals. Just remember, there's always more than one path to achieving them. Never stop learning because learning equals growth. 
Be kinder to yourself. Always know your worth. You can't change anyone except yourself and be wary of anyone who tries to change you to suit their ideal. Don't look for a partner who makes you happy. Look for someone who makes you want to be your best self. That was an interesting one. Now, here's another one that was interesting. Know when to leave. Whether it's friendships, relationships, or your career, recognize the signs when it's time to move on. This means you may need to take a risk. Hmm. Don't let failure let you down or get you down. Look for the learning opportunity in every bad situation. Learn to accept the unconditional love you deserve and give it tenfold in return. While plans can give you clarity, don't get fixated on them. Plans will almost always change, so be prepared. It's called living life with open arms. You will end up where you're meant to be, so don't stress it. Another one is it's important to know that you can't ever control an outcome, but you'll always be control of your efforts. So focus on giving your very best effort to everything you do, and then trust that whatever the outcome, even the ones that seem disastrous in the moment, it is exactly the best outcome for you because it's the outcome that will lead you to the place you are actually meant to be, which by the way, is a place that's far more glorious than anything you have even begun to imagine yet. Now, friends, if looking back fills you with regret, realize you did the best you could at the time. Now, experts say happy adults view their younger selves with compassion and use regret to motivate change. Pretty wise. One final thought. No matter how old you are, it's never too late to live the life you've always wanted. Good advice. Let's end our time together with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you today seeking your guidance and direction for our lives. We trust in your wisdom and love for us, and we ask for your hand to lead us on the path that you have chosen for us. Help us to listen to your voice and follow your will. No matter the challenges we may face, fill us with your peace and courage as we trust in your guidance. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now for a drop of wisdom. As a proud brand partner of Young Living, I'm a firm believer in the quality and purity of their products. One of the things that sets Young Living apart is their commitment to controlling the entire process from seed to seal using their own essential oils to protect their crops and ensure the highest level of purity. 
For this episode, let's focus on lavender, one of Young Living's most beloved essential oils. Known for its calming and soothing aroma, lavender has become a staple in the world of aromatherapy and is widely used in perfumes, massage oils, and skincare products. Native to the Mediterranean, this member of the mint family offers countless benefits from its tranquil scent to its skin-soothing properties when applied topically. Whether you're looking to ease occasional nervous tension or improve sweet sleep quality, lavender essential oil is a must-have in your collection. If you need to add this oil or any other oil to your collection, my Young Living link is in the show notes. I'd be happy to help you. I can even set you up so you can earn free products and become an affiliate to help your friends. The oils are just so good. Thank you for tuning in to the Soul Journey Podcast. If you found this episode valuable, I would greatly appreciate it if you support me by rating, following, and liking the podcast. Additionally, sharing it with friends who might also find it helpful would mean a lot to me. Your support helps me reach more people and continue sharing meaningful content. Thank you for being part of the Soul Journey community.